0: Our No Labels series is coming to a close because next Sunday, this cross on which we have placed so many of these labels and entrusted those labels to God will be something different. It will be redeemed, it will look different. I can't wait for you to see it. Um, I've been mindful throughout this season that there are several different kinds of of labels that are part of our human condition, these are, are but a few. Some are warning labels. So I thought we'd have a little fun with labels as we head into this final week of Lent together. It reminds me about a Chipotle truck that said, warning, this driver does not carry burritos. That's one warning label. There was a warning label on a baby stroller that said, please remove child before folding up this stroller. And you know what that means? That means someone forgot to remove the child before they fold up the baby stroller. I found a label about a wheelbarrow that said, not intended for highway use. You know what that means? Someone used it on the highway. Shin pads cannot protect any part of the body that they do not cover. Um, What is true, Alex? I got that. Warning, not intended for brushing teeth. That was on a toilet bowl cleaning brush. Why? Why? because someone brushed their teeth with it. That's why. And um, not use, not, do not use for drying your pets. That was in the manual for a microwave oven. I, I don't get it. There was a wave runner, one of those wave runner things that had a label that said, never use a lit match or open flame to check the fuel level, <laughs> which means somebody used a lit match to check the fuel level. And finally, there was a prescription bottle of dog medicine that said, Caution, may cause drowsiness. Be careful when driving a car. I don't know if that's for the dog or the Einstein who took the dog medicine, right? I feel a little bit like Jeff Foxworthy and Bill Ingold right now. Apparently, uh, human beings do need some type of labels to prevent us from harming ourselves, as it were, in this case. Other labels are very helpful too. Doctors and clinicians need a way of identifying what's going on with us, so they know how to help us move forward into a path and a place of of healing. But what we've been discussing over this uh, Lenten series is that labels do not need to be harmful. We don't attach labels to ourselves or to another human being to do harm. And that those labels that do harm to ourselves and to others are things that we need to give to Jesus. They're the reason why Jesus processed into Jerusalem and absorbed what he did on the cross. And so what we're looking at is no more harmful labels. Ways to identify ourselves now as we prepare for resurrection are that we're children of God, redeemed by Christ, and gifted by the Holy Spirit. Those are the things we need to take on. So I wonder if that's why the Gospels record the events that you have heard from Matthew's Gospel and Luke's Gospel just now in today's reading. I wonder if high on the mount there at Bethphage, Jesus looked over the Kidron Valley and he heard all of these festive sounds coming from inside Jerusalem. And I wonder if he thought, My Lord... There are so many labels that I need to remove, and this flock doesn't even get it. Or maybe, maybe he was actually thinking, you know, 99 of them get it, Father, but there's one sheep that still needs me. In this account, beginning the events of Jesus' life here on earth, we can hear the anguish. The weight of the world is beginning to press down on Jesus. It's crushing And so he leaves that mountaintop, not far from Bethany, where he was actually anointed. (laughs) He leaves Bethany and he processes down into Jerusalem, but not going through this olive garden, this place called Gethsemane. It means press, olive press. So I see this weeping Messiah and the weight of the world pressing down on him, and then I see him going down into this valley on his way to the cross. And I wonder, and I'm reminded, that it won't be the last time that he's in this garden with the weight of the world pressing down on him. It won't be the last time that he crosses this valley of the shadow of death. what we're witnessing, friends, is the full unfolding of Jesus's humanity because in a few days he will die an actual, literal death. A lot of times we're okay understanding the divinity of Jesus. We, we think about his miracles, we think about him as the, as the son of God, but it's the humanity part, the harshness of life, the way that he doesn't avoid our human condition. He doesn't, he doesn't mince words about the straight and narrow on which we are to find ourselves if we're to be his followers We know that Jesus was labeled himself by his friends and his community and even what we might call his church, the religious leaders, and it breaks his heart. Three years ago, I discovered Malcolm Gladwell's podcast, Revisionist History. I hope that you have found it. If not, uh, I I totally recommend it to you. Uh, Since that time, I've been swimming in the pool of intellectual thought and narrative laughter, And in season two, episode six, uh, Gladwell takes up a very important topic. It's called the King of Tears, and the focus is what he calls, kind of tongue-in-cheek as a Canadian, the dividing line in our country. He said that dividing line is the sad song line. He reminds us that the Rolling Stone magazine released uh, top 50 songs, 50 songs of all times a few years ago, and on that list were things like Hotel California and Layla and Tutti Frutti and Smells Like Teen Spirit, and the number one song on the top 50 Rolling Stone chart was by theologian Bob Dylan. It was entitled Like a Rolling Stone. But you know, not a song on that list talked about mama or prison or the erosion of marriage, or defaulting on one's tractor payment. And what Gladwell does is he switches to country music, which he says is an entirely different universe. Because every song is about love loss and dogs dying and tractors breaking down and getting mud on tires before you are go to work and then you're late for work. Every song is a lament song. And so the entire genre is basically like lent how long oh lord must i live with the queen of my double wide trailer that was a song you know joe diffie recently died from the coronavirus it makes me sad i love joe diffie uh, he sang this song about painting charlene's name on the water tower and john Deere green oh it gets me right here every time every time Gladwell talks about the greatest country song ever written. He stopped loving her today. George Jones sang it, but it was a Bobby Bradwick's, uh, Braddock song. You know those lyrics. He said, I'll love you till I die. She told, she told him you'll forget in time. As the years went slowly by, she still preyed upon his mind. He kept her picture on his wall. Oh, and then we get to the refrain. He stopped loving, you know, the refrain. Oh, it's so good. What is it about Music. Especially country music. And by the way, just as an aside, we know that the blues and the spirituals, which make up so much of our our human story, preceded country music. And all three of those genres, which deal with pain and the human experience, they all came from the South, basically. But those three genres fascinate me because they are among the most popular and certainly the most moving and expressive of musical outlets, and they deal with pain and suffering. Hmm. What Gladwell says is that beauty and authenticity can create a mood. They set the stage. But I think the thing that pushes us over the top into tears is details. We cry when melancholy collides with specificity. And specificity is not something every genre does well. There's another genre that does specificity and authenticity and humanity quite well. It's called the Gospels. And what we read in the narrative today and throughout this holiest of weeks is one part agony, it's one part ecstasy. But it's fully specific about Jesus' mission that Jesus is willing to go through and to our pain, that Jesus is willing to go through and to all of the labels that divide us from our God, from ourselves, and from one another. And what we're seeing is maybe one of the biggest imports of the cross is absorbing these labels. So that something beautiful might become of it and be redeemed. So Palm Sunday has all of that, that tension, the agony, the ecstasy, the laughter, the tears. Palm Sunday is actually a collision of two kingdoms, the kingdoms of this world and the kingdom of God. The specific moving parts of that tension, those those dualistic tensions, it tells an authentic story. A crowd that shouts, Hosanna, but a Messiah who weeps because he's all alone. Palms of royalty, garments laid on the ground because a king is coming, but he rides in on a donkey not a mighty horse like maybe Rome would have preferred, not in full armor or even with a sword. No, he carries the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God because he is the word made flesh. He comes contemplatively. We hear this interpersonal monologue, basically. It's one that is not expeditious or anxious like a frenetically over-functioning people might have desired. None of this was the way Jesus came into Jerusalem or into our human story. There wasn't a lot of excitement. It was just the opposite. It was sobs, and it was cries, and it was, it was anguish as, as the Palm Sunday Hosanna period gave way into something that was much more raw and messy and challenging Jesus felt all along while so many people surrounded him. And he cried because his heart was broken. Those hosannas would soon turn to crucify. And so I think the through and to language is important for us as we move through the celebration of the palms and into Passion Week, especially this year as we cannot be together. Because Jesus Christ comes through the social distancing and to our deepest moments of despair. Some of those are listed here. Some of those are we're still struggling with and trying to figure out with this quarantine, shelter in place, what it, what it means. How long will it last? Jesus comes through all of that to where you are right now. And this truth, for me at least, it raises several questions. What is it that God needs to go through in order to get to you? Maybe those are labels. Maybe those are the curves in this world that need to be flattened or our own sin. Every one of the labels on this cross is what God is willing to go through in order to get to you. So let me remind you of some things that we've listed here. We've listed the valleys, the labels, the curves of shame and fear and addiction, separation of, from family and guilt, and abuse, and isms, the fear of strangers. We talked about mental health challenges last week and all the stigmas that go with it. And and all of these labels that we attach to ourselves and, and to others, Jesus Christ is willing to come right in to the middle of it all. And he weeps because it hurts us. And what hurts us hurts God. There's a blues musician that once said, if you don't think you got the blues, just keep living. And so as Palm Sunday yields to Passion Week, we learn some things about our human condition, that sooner or later everybody hurts, everyone laments, we all cry, we all need a Messiah who's unwilling to go around the pressing nature of our human condition or the depths of our valleys, even those valleys of the shadow of death. He's... He's not willing to go around it. Jesus Christ goes through it with us because his name is Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's right. And so God with us looks out even right now and he assesses what's going on in our hearts and he weeps, but he goes right to the thick of it all and there's another reason I think Jesus Christ wept that day. Because I think he's looking out over the city that he loved so much. The zip code, as Lynn Sweet says, the zip code that he loved so much. And his heart broke. And So what does it mean that the person who came to save the world from its labels and from itself would first cry over its own, his own zip code? It's fascinating, really. Just a few chapters early, we hear about the Annunciation and the Visitation. And yet again, there's an Annunciation and a Visitation of Jesus the Christ, and nobody is willing to listen. So one of the challenges for Palm Sunday is to say, Lord, give me ears to hear and eyes to see what breaks your heart. And that raises another important question. What does cause heart, God's heart to break in our city? And whether you're watching right now from Montgomery or from the River Region or from the state or, or nationally, I know we have a lot of folks tuning in from all over. You can ask the same question about your own community. If Jesus Christ walked up to the highest building or the highest point in town and he, he looked out and took an assessment of things, what would cause him to cry? What would break his heart? And the challenge is, whatever it is that breaks Jesus' heart ought to break our heart. Amen? Amen. So I, walk around, I walked around the neighborhood some this week, safely apart from everybody else walking, and I developed a list of things that I thought would cause Jesus to weep because I saw wealth and poverty. I saw the unnecessary expectations that we place on ourselves to overfunction. pointing my fingers at myself here. I saw the fear of being alone for four weeks or six weeks or eight weeks in the eyes of people I passed. I thought about the compromised immune systems of so many people who can't come out of their homes right now or even their cars because of this infection and then I thought about the strain and the stress and the weight on our doctors and nurses and first responders and healthcare officials right now. And I thought about the overall heightened anxiety levels in communities all across this country. We're all scared to death. And I think Jesus somewhere very humbly rides on in through it. He says, do not be afraid. I'm here with you. God's heart is the first to break when people suffer and hurt. So I don't believe for a single second that God is causing this pandemic or its effects. I don't believe that. But I do believe that Jesus Christ continues to work through it in order to get to what God loves the most, people and communities, to heal them, to redeem the places that are broken To reclaim the hearts that have been hurt by labels and pain. You know, I said it a few weeks ago, and it's floating around out there still, but it's worth repeating that this this virus... This coronavirus, it does not discriminate based on age or gender or color or class or talent level or insured or uninsured or employed or unemployed or Republican or Democrat or Catholic or Jew or Muslim or Protestant or Auburn or Alabama or whatever. It knows no boundaries. This virus goes right through it all. But so does grace. And grace looks out over the city and and weeps. And it goes through all of that pain to get right to the heart of the matter. That's what Jesus does. He comes down through this pressing situation. He's sobbing. He goes down through the valley, and he comes up to the city. And the very first thing that he does is he goes to the temple, the heart of community life, right? To the heart of the matter is where Jesus Christ goes. And he sees that there's so much corruption and filth that he braids this whip, and he starts driving like cattle. You know, the shepherd's mad. He starts driving out all of this filth. And I think it's a way of showing that Jesus Christ is willing to come through all of our mess to the chambers of our hearts to make us clean, to make us whole, to redeem us to God, to one another, and even to ourselves. Friends, let me caution us today not to go from waving these palms straight to smelling the lilies next week. We don't need to go from a Palm Street party to an empty tomb mystery. There's too much life in between to go from Palm Sunday to Easter without going through the messiness of Holy Week. We want to walk around it. But if we're serious about answering the call that Jesus gives that says, follow me, And we'll walk right through Holy Week with him. As messy, as messy as it might be. We're so tempted to say, oh, if I was Jesus, I would have stopped it all. I would have shut it down at any given moment. Uh Uh-huh, I know, I would have too. I wouldn't have heard that rooster crow. I would never have denied him, except that I do. (laughs) I would have helped Jesus wash other people's feet, except that I wouldn't have. And so this week, Please do not avoid the parts of the story that make us uncomfortable. We need to go through them because Jesus did. We need to see Jesus working to drive out the filthiness of, of the temple of our hearts and then be willing to do something about it. But then turning around and washing the filthy feet of the, the disciples who would betray him and deny him is powerful. We need to know that no matter what labels we place on ourselves or others, Jesus is inviting us to a common meal. And despite the way that we do label others, that from the cross in a few days, he's going to say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing when they label themselves and others. They don't know what they do when they bully themselves and when they bully others. Forgive them right now. We need to go through the garden to see disciples just like us who tried so hard to stay awake when Jesus needed them the most, but they fell asleep. They just couldn't do it. We need to see ourselves in the crowd a few days from now who would spit on him, strike him. And with the same tongues and mouths who shouted Hosanna, each and every day we say crucify him. We don't want that radical of a God in our lives. We don't want that challenging of a gospel to change us so that we might have our hearts broken in the same way that Jesus did. No more labels, friends. No more labels about God, about ourselves, or about others. Jesus goes through it to get right to the heart of the matter. I pray we will do the same. Welcome to Holy Week. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.